Hi, I'm Aubrey. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. We would also like to invite you to some events happening at our church Easter weekend. Our Good Friday service will be at 7 p.m. Our Easter egg hunt will be Saturday 2 to 4 p.m. And in addition to our regular Sunday services, we will also have a 7.30 a.m. service. Well, hey church, I'm Adrian. I'm glad you're here. Uh, You are welcome. We're glad you showed up today. Um, I want you to think with me today, um, maybe a sobering thought. Maybe a challenging thought for some of us. I want you to imagine today what it would be like to be known for the worst thing you've ever done. (laughs) It's not a lot of fun to think that, to camp out there, but I want you to just for a minute go with me there. For some of us, maybe it's, you know, I'm pretty klutzy. I say dumb things a lot. So for me, it's not hard to imagine that embarrassing moment. That moment that, you know, what if that moment was the moment spotlighted for the rest of my life? Everybody that saw me, knew me, thought of that moment. For some of us, it's something deeper. It's more than embarrassing. It was forgetfulness, temptation, a moment beyond any other moment of your life. That moment, you know what I'm talking about maybe, that encompasses a lot of pain, maybe some shame, uh, some rejection. So I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to imagine for just that moment, that mistake, that error, that habit, everyone knows you for that one thing. Today, uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 8, if you would, in your copy of scripture. And I think the woman that Jesus encounters was very much known for the worst thing that ever happened in her life. The worst moment. I'm not here to judge her life or know her life, but I'm just here to say that that woman understands exactly what we're talking about this morning, being known for the worst thing, the worst decision, the worst moment of your life. And so we're going to turn there in John chapter 8. We've been in the midst of our series called The Uncomfortable Jesus. And Jesus' purpose in coming to this earth, his mission was not to make us uncomfortable. That was not, he's a God of love, God who wants to embrace you and and walk with you and be in relationship with you. But the way Jesus lived and the way that he loved others and the way that he showed us, he exemplified the kingdom of God, made a lot of people around him very uncomfortable. Specifically, the religious leaders, those in authority, those that had their act together, those that knew the law, they knew the word, they had it lived out perfectly in their life. They watched the way Jesus loved others. They watched the way that he embraced the kingdom. They watched and heard what he said and they became very uncomfortable. And so we, in turn, have journeyed through this series and allowed ourselves for just a few weeks as we journey to Easter to be a little bit uncomfortable with the message of Jesus. So here in John chapter 8, we see Jesus encounter a woman. And that was already something because we know, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, in a Jewish culture, uh, women had no significance. They had no place. They had no voice. And so that in and of itself, we understand that this woman is in the lowest part of society. Not fair, but that's who she was. But even more than that, she is not just any woman, she is the adulterous woman. She has no name. We know nothing else about her except perhaps the worst thing she's ever done. And that is who Jesus comes into contact with. So John chapter 8, starting with verse 1, if you would read along with me, this is God's word for us today. 
says this, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing Jesus. But he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Uh, the, the religious leaders, those that were very uncomfortable by the way Jesus lived, by the way that he crossed the boundary lines to welcome others, to embrace others who the law would say were outsiders. The law would say they're irreligious. The law would say they're not worthy of our time and effort. But Jesus, time and time again, crossed, the, he made them uncomfortable by the way he loved others and embraced them. And so now they've had enough. And now they really want to trap Jesus. And so this moment is pivotal in the ministry of Jesus because uh, Jesus has claimed to be a God, of, to represent a God of mercy. That the kingdom of God is the merciful kingdom. Go and be people of mercy, he would say. And so now he's face to face with a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. She's guilty. And so this is, oh Jesus, you're a person of mercy. How will you treat her? Well, well Jesus knows the law. He knows what the law would require. The law would require that she be stoned to death, that she be killed. And so for him to show mercy now, he goes against the law, the written word of God. But furthermore, they have Jesus trapped because Jesus was a Jew, and the Jews were under Roman law, and the Jews, while their law required her to be put to death, they had no ability on their own. They had no authority on their own to carry out that sentence apart from Rome. And so if Jesus sentences her to death, he is not just an enemy of mercy, but now he's an enemy of the Roman government. And so they believe they've got him trapped and they've got him cornered. So I want you to imagine for a minute this scene, this woman known for the worst thing she's ever done, thrown in front of Jesus. Put yourself in her position for a minute. Let's just step back and find our place in the story and the different people. Let's think of this woman. She's known for this terrible act, this thing that she's done. She's caught in the act and dragged in the middle of church right jesus is teaching in the temple and so in the middle of church they parade her in throw her down in front of jesus and all the others Can you imagine that moment imagine how she would feel shame on you they say to her look at her life look at this jesus she's humiliated she's embarrassed she's ashamed listen, she's guilty. She's not being misunderstood. It's not, well, that's your perspective and that's your opinion. No, no, no. She was caught in the act. She's guilty and stands there in front of Jesus and all the others gathered around her. And yet, Jesus loves her. 
Jesus loves her. He looks into her eyes. Someone living in sin, living in direct disobedience to the law, to the known law of God, and he looks at her with love and compassion. I don't know about you as you place yourself in the story, but can you imagine yourself there? Your lowest point, your darkest moment, the moment that like, oh, I hope no one ever knows about this. And there you find yourself at the feet of Jesus. And he looks at you. Everyone else scoffing, everyone else whispering, everyone else, oh yeah, her again. But Jesus looks at you and he loves you. There's some other characters in the story that are worth noting. Uh, The religious leaders, you've noticed if you've been here throughout this series that almost every week the religious leaders play a pretty important role because that's often who Jesus was making feel so uncomfortable. Those that had their act together. Those that knew the law and felt like they were the righteous ones. They were the holy ones. They they were the ones living in right relationship with God. And so we see them here uh, out to trap Jesus, out to trick him. And I think it's important for a minute that we pause and understand two things about the religious leaders that maybe painfully so we can identify in ourselves sometimes. The first was this, is that the religious leaders, the religious leaders had an authority issue. They had an authority issue. They felt like their role, they were the authorities in the law. And as such, their job was to stand watch, to be the investigators, ready to pounce with unforgiving punishment. They were the moral watchdogs of the day. And their calling, they believed, from God was that they had the authority to destroy the sinner. To destroy the sinner. It it never occurred to them. They would have never dreamed that their role was not to judge, was not to bring judgment, but instead to, to bring redemption, to bring reclamation to the sinner. And that, they believed, was not their call. Their call was to be the authority. And in that moment, they had an authority issue. Because the truth is, this is the truth, that any authority which is solely concerned with punishment is wrong authority. (laughs) Any authority concerned only with punishment is wrong authority. So in that moment, man, they have an authority issue. But more than that, the religious leaders have an attitude issue. An attitude issue. They, They don't see a woman. They don't see a person. They don't see a mom. They don't see a friend. They don't see somebody who's so broken and so hurt and been so beat up. They look at her and they just see a thing. They just see something that they can use as part of their plan to get to Jesus. She has no name to them. She has no story. She has no personality, no feelings. She's just a thing to them. Nothing more. (laughs) The love of Jesus. The love that Jesus came to show us is a love that compels us to see the person first. Oh yeah, they're living in sin, and oh man, their life is a mess. And oh, they're But when I look into their eyes, I don't see sin, I don't see brokenness, I see a person first. And that's where the religious leaders had gotten off track. They couldn't see her. They couldn't have compassion on her. All they could see was her sin, her brokenness, her shame. And for that, they had an attitude, a heart issue. What about you? What about me? Is it possible? There are some people in our lives, uh, again, we talked about it in the first week of our series, that what we do often, especially as those of us who claim to know Jesus, is there are these areas in our life that make us uncomfortable. 
And so what we do is we kind of draw the line and we say in our hearts that I can't love them there, but if they'll cross the line, if they'll become like me, if they'll believe like me or live like me or act like me, then I will love them. But in our hearts, we kind of draw that barrier and we set it apart. And are you there ever in your life? Are there people in your life this week that you came into contact with and really, without realizing it, you came in feeling like you're the authority? Like, I know God's word, and I'm here to tell you how you're wrong, and I'm here to judge you, and I'm here to... And never in a, did you realize that maybe Jesus is calling you to not be an agent of judgment, but an agent of reconciliation, an agent of redemption to show that God has come to reclaim sinners, <laughs> to draw them back, to call them back to himself. Maybe this week in your day-to-day, everyday interactions, an attitude began to rise up within you where you suddenly, you missed the person and all you saw was their stuff. All you saw was their issue. All you saw was their attitude. All you saw, and you very quickly turned to judgment when Jesus says, oh man, would you stop for a minute and realize that I love her. I love him. Look into their eyes and you see a son, a daughter of God made in my image who I love. Maybe some of us today, our authority, our attitude has become an issue. So what does this mean and what does it say for us and how does all of this help us in the culmination of our series and as we journey towards Easter? I think these uh, verses in John chapter 8, these 11 verses say so much to us, but I think they represent really what the gospel is all about. And so I want to close uh, the rest of my time together by all of these things that we've said and all these things over the last few weeks. If you haven't been there, would love it if you would go online or watch at abeaconofhope.org just so that you're in the heartbeat of where we're at and where we're going. But all of this is to show us, all of this Jesus came to embody what the gospel, what his kingdom was all about. And the truth is that his gospel is the gospel of grace and truth. That's what it's about. That's what this story points to. That's what Jesus embodied time and time again, a gospel of grace and truth. We were just reading in John chapter 8, and later on, if you want to, if you turn to John chapter 1, where John in his gospel is telling us, is explaining the arrival of Jesus, that heaven came down, God's son, God's perfect son, seated at the right hand of God, became one of us. And so how does John describe that in John chapter 1? He says this, that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And then what does he say? Full of grace and truth. John begins his gospel account by defining the ministry, the gospel of Jesus. His life is a life marked by grace in truth. And this story that we just read is a perfect example and a challenge to us. Jesus shows us in John chapter 8, a gospel of grace that this woman, he's not just a God of second chances or God of third chances or fortunes, that he is the God of redemption. He's the God of redemption. That this is really what this whole series is about, that Jesus was always willing to cross the line. He was always willing to love the sinner. He was always willing. We cannot give in to sin, but we cannot give up on love. And so Jesus was always marked by grace. Grace that went after the sinner. Grace that went after the outsider. Grace that when staring the woman in the face who deserved punishment, who deserved sin, he loved her. That's grace. 
It's incredible grace. Jesus is not in this moment. He's not dismissing sin. He's simply withholding judgment. Oh, there will be a moment. There was a moment when that woman would stand before the judge. There was that moment. But in this moment, Jesus is simply withholding judgment and offering grace. It's beautiful because the truth is for us that Jesus, Jesus is not interested in what you have been. Jesus is always interested in what you can be. He's not so concerned about what has happened. Jesus is very much concerned about what will, what can, what may happen in your life. And that is the beautiful story of grace. The story of grace says, just as you have had a past, oh man, you have a future. (laughs) That's grace. (laughs) Oh, that's the past. But let me tell you, you have a future. But the beautiful thing about this account The beautiful thing is that it's not just grace. We love grace. We love grace. We don't always love extending it to others, but we love grace. We love grace that loves us when we make mistakes. We love grace that loves us when we're not perfect. We love, and we love that. The problem is, the danger is that if we make the gospel all about grace, we cheapen what Jesus came to do. We cheapen the message. It becomes a shallow gospel. That's oh, It's about love and it's about kindness and, and that's beautiful. But Jesus came not just to embody grace, but to also embody truth. And the two are not mutually exclusive. That's the problem. See, the Pharisees, they had the truth down. They had no grace. They, it was all about truth and all about black and white. And you did this, so you deserve this. That was their whole ministry. And that was worthless because it was absent of grace. And Jesus came to model both. You say, well, what does that mean? Look at what truth means in this story. Look look at Jesus' response to her in verse 11, if your copy of Scripture is still there. He he says in verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has anyone condemned you? In verse 11, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, he declared. That's grace. I'm withholding judgment. I don't condemn you, but don't stop reading. Look at what Jesus says. He offers to her a challenge. (laughs) And that's the gospel of truth. The gospel of truth, oh, the grace is loving us and and kindness and compassion, but the gospel of truth is a gospel of challenge. And look at what the challenge he says now. Go and leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. Jesus is speaking over her life a vision that she did not even know was possible. She thought this was all there was. She thought this is all that she was capable of, a life of shame and disappointment and despair and being the butt of the jokes and everyone in town knew her. She thought this is all there was, but Jesus is showing her a gospel of grace. Oh, you've had a past, but you have a future. And the gospel of truth says that you can go and you can leave this life of sin through the power at work my power my kingdom is about a a challenge and a challenge a vision for your life that you don't have to live this way anymore now go and leave your life of sin there's victory for you there's hope (laughs) there's promise for your life and that's what the gospel of truth tells us a gospel of grace just leaves us where we are jesus didn't look at her and say oh you messed up that's okay. We all sin. We all sin every day in word, thought, and deed. And you've got your sin, and I've got my sin. I'm not going to judge your sin because your sin is. That's not what Jesus said. And sometimes when we get too stuck on a gospel of grace, that's what we do. We just make it about what well, everybody's, and it's okay. That's not where Jesus was. Now he looks at her with all the love and compassion, and he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. There's a better way. 
or there's a way of promise, a way of hope, a way of truth for your life that I'm coming to show you. Uh, don't you wonder what the rest of her life was like? Don't you wonder how that one encounter changed? Uh, maybe the whispers never went away. Maybe she was always to them the adulteress, but I believe in her life it was forever changed because Jesus showed her a vision for her life that she never knew was possible, a gospel of grace and truth. <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you a story this morning. I got a picture on the screen of uh, that's Sarah and her dad, Lee, Sarah Harmeyer. And uh, her story fascinates me this morning. As we talk a little bit about, about the series, Uncomfortable Jesus, and this morning about a gospel of grace and truth, I think her story is so relevant to us. Uh, Sarah moved to Dallas just several years ago in 2011, and she did so. She was uh, really performance-driven and wanted to make the most of her life, but she really moved back there trying to find answers and understand what God wanted for her life. And so she was part of a church and began to just walk in community with other believers to understand, what, is, what does God want for me? What's my purpose? And in that process, she became overwhelmed with the call of Jesus to love your neighbor. She became overwhelmed by this Jesus who welcomed sinners and welcomed tax collectors. And he went across the boundary. And, and even though it made other people uncomfortable, she just became overwhelmed by that. And so she began to pray and she began to look at her own life and the things that she was passionate about and felt wired to do. And that's gathering people around her table. And so she went to her dad, Lee, and said, Dad, I want you to build me a table. Not just any table. I, I want a, a table that can seat 20 people. I don't know, I don't know how the next thing, if he was just like, okay, or what, like, what? what? And so she had him build this table, and she put it in her backyard, and just put some lighting up around it, and she began what she called her love mission. Her love mission, that in the year 2012, she wanted to have 500 different people around her table. Not because she was a good cook, or her brownies were so excellent, or she just, but she just took seriously this idea of welcoming people to the table, that the gospel is a gospel of grace and truth, but a gospel that says you are welcome at my table, that you are loved for who you are. And so this is not 500 of her closest friends. This is not, oh, they were a part of it, but this is strangers and outsiders and neighbors all welcome to her table. And as the story goes, on Thanksgiving Day, that same year, the 500th person came up her driveway. There's a picture of her on the screen. She had accomplished her vision, her mission of 500 people, one at a time, welcome at her table. Out of it grew this mission, this calling. Uh, it's called uh, the neighbor's table. And out of it was this, again, this love mission of together her and her father and now others will build these tables. And it's not just any table. It's a table built with a specific purpose of gathering, of welcoming those around you in the name of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus that we claim to believe. And so all around the country now, what they'll do is even up until the last year or so, they'll actually personally deliver each of these tables. They live in Dallas. They'll drive however many miles to deliver the table, and on the day they deliver it, they ask you to host your first gathering. And so they get to be there with family or friends or strangers or whoever as they gather around your table. A beautiful, beautiful thing. By next year, 2020, they have a vision. They want one of these tables in every state across the country as people commit to gather to welcome those around their table. There's another visual of a table that we see in Scripture as we look at the Passion Week of our Lord, our Savior, in just a week or so, we're going to journey there together as a church. 
through this beautiful time, this rich season in the life of Jesus. But Jesus was on a mission, and his mission was the cross. His mission was your redemption and my redemption. His mission was that he would lay down his life for you and for me. But he wouldn't stay dead. No, no, no. He would rise again. He would show victory. And so that, that's the gospel that we claim to believe today. In just the few moments before Jesus would give his life on the cross, he gathered around a table. It was the table with his disciples. And the table would look probably different than yours and I today. It would be a little bit lower to the ground. And they would kind of sit and recline against each other, which was typical in their culture. But as Jesus gathered around this table with his disciples, with those that have given up everything to follow him. He came to celebrate the Passover feast with them. And as he did, he took the bread. And as he looked around the table, he broke the bread and said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat. And when you do, as often as you do, remember me. And then he looked around the table again and he took the cup and he said, this cup this cup represents my blood, which is will be poured out for you. Take it and drink, and, and every time you do, remember me. And I, I don't know how many in the room, but most of them had no idea what was about to happen. You and I do, but most of them had no idea that Jesus was going to be crucified. His body would be broken. His blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as he gathered around the table that day, he said, I want you to remember me. You know, the truth of the gospel, the truth this morning that I want you to know is all are welcome at the table. Powerful. I want you to think about that statement today. I want you to think about, you don't have to think about it. Y'all think about me, okay? <laughs> that I'm welcome at the table today. But Jesus, what about my past? What about the things that, oh, I know? It's the gospel of grace. I'm not so worried about what you've been, Adrian, but man, I... Let me tell you about what you can become. Let me tell you about your future. All are welcome. In the church of the Nazarene, we don't guard the table. We don't say, well, you've got to be a member, and you've got to be able to recite the book of Romans. And we, gotta, we don't do that. There's denominations that do, and that's fine. But in the church of the Nazarene, we believe that all are welcome at the table. That's what this is. It's just a sacrament. Not just. It's beautiful. It's a sacrament. And what that means is Holy Communion for us is a beautiful moment. It's not something we do flippantly. It's not something we do just out of habit. We come to the table and we remember that we are welcome, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us and that we are included in the kingdom of God. We're all welcome. And so we come, we come knowing that none are excluded. All are invited, except... <laughs> that we believe in a gospel of grace and truth. We believe in a gospel where all are invited, but we also believe in a gospel of truth. And so as we come to the table, we heed Jesus's words, which say, go and sin no more. Go and don't, don't continue in that life. Don't continue in that past. I love you. I see your past, but man, the gospel of truth says that there is a vision for your life that I have that you can't see right now. And as you come to the table, I want you to come, but I want you to heed my words. Jesus says, go now and live the life that I have for you. Go and leave a life of sin. This is the gospel of grace and truth for us. I'm going to invite you now to stand to your feet if you could. And just across this room, if you could, for just a moment, if you could bow your heads and quiet your hearts. 
the band is going to come in just a minute, we are going to have the opportunity to partake in holy communion, a sacred time in our church, not just our church here, our church universal. And in a minute, you're going to come and you're going to receive the elements and some will want to go back to their seats and quietly receive the elements there. Some will want to gather maybe around the altar, off to the side with family. And that, that's beautiful. You can receive the elements however you want to today. But all are invited to the table. All are welcome at the table of our Lord. But as you come, listen to Jesus' words. Listen to the vision that he has for you. You can't see it right now. All you see is your past. All you see is your brokenness. All you see is the thing in front of you that everyone has known you by, but Jesus sees you and says, oh, go and leave a life of sin. There's victory today. There's freedom. There is truth. A gospel of truth is a gospel built upon the promises of God, not upon our feelings, not upon our emotions, not upon how's it going to be today. No, no, the gospel of truth is built on your promises, Lord, that you have for us. So I want to invite you into that today, a gospel of grace and a gospel of truth, where all are welcome, all are invited. Would you bow your heads now? I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for that person today that feels a lot like that woman in the story. All you can see is your shame. All you can see is how you have not measured up. All you can see is your disappointment, and you may even feel like everybody in the room can too. So today I want to pray, and I want to pray that you see Jesus looking into your eyes today. And you know that you're welcome. He doesn't condemn you. Today I want to pray for others that have given up on God's, God's purpose, God's vision for their life. I want them to hear today the challenge of Jesus. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and walk in my victory and my truth. Jesus, thank you today. Thank you that, that your grace isn't cheap. We don't just come out of, oh, okay, yeah. No, 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 we come out of reverence, out of awe, out of wonder that you would love me in believing and trusting that you have something planned for me that's far better than I can ask, think, or imagine. We thank you for the table. We thank you for the reminder of Jesus that he would lay down his life, that his blood would be poured out for us. And today all are welcome at the table. We love you and we thank you. As the song is played, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just in a, in a reverence, attitude of prayer, there's no rush today. But when you're ready, when you want to, if you want to, all are welcome at the table. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.